Hello, friends. I hope you're keeping your sanity during these uncertain times. Anxiety and stress do some damage on our immune systems, and we all should be working on our immune systems right now. Something to work on while we're sitting at home, social distancing from other people. And there's just simple ways to boost that immune system. First things first, get some sleep. Eight hours. You need eight hours of sleep. I get about seven. It works for me. It may not work for you, but try to get that eight hours of sleep. Get moving. You don't have to do a ton of cardio every day, but you need to get moving. So do some housework, some yard work. I get to walk around on campus all day, so I get my steps in. So get in at about 10,000 steps a day, which you might think is a lot, but it's not that much if you're actually walking around the block, if you're mowing the lawn, cleaning your house, decluttering your house. Those are things that get you moving. And the last tip I got for you to work on to uh, boost that immune system, eat better. Cut out the sugar drinks. Cut out sugar. Eat more vegetables. I know not everyone wants to do that. Eat more fruits. Same thing. Cut out the processed foods. Um, just eat three meals a day. If you're going to snack, snack on stuff like you know, nuts, snack on stuff that's just not loaded in sugar, uh, like potato chips are not good to snack on all the time. You can probably find healthier chips to snack on, but focus on the three meals, getting three meals a day of good nutrition, and you can find these, so many articles. There's so many articles on what to eat and affordably that you shouldn't be doing McDonald's every night. You shouldn't be ordering in every night. Uh, work on eating better and it'll boost your immune system. You got it? Now, when this pandemic started, I knew I had to work on my immune system because I'm a diabetic. I'm diabetic type two. My blood sugars are good, but I knew how to protect myself. So I started with sleeping and getting a good sleep score. I have a Fitbit. It gives you a sleep score. And during the pandemic, my best sleep score has been a 90. Usually I'm in the 80s and I tell people I'm just trying to win at sleep. So I feel great during the days. Uh, I get enough sleep. And also, I've been eating better. I, uh, I take drink protein shakes, actually. And I'm at the lowest weight I've ever been as an adult. So this pandemic's actually working out for me. I'm still frightened and I don't want to die and I want everyone to stay safe and stay alive. But spending time at home, doing all the things I said, like working on my yard, decluttering my house, I walk around on campus, I get good sleep and I'm eating better. It's actually working out for me uh, physically. Uh, I have a, a doctor's appointment here in a few weeks to basically verify all that. I hope it's going to go well. All right, let's get into uh, the guest today. Today's guest is Ray Carlisle, and you may know him from the world-famous punk band Teenage Bottle Rocket, or some of you may know him as Ray, another Laramie local. Now, I got the chance to talk with Ray about his life, how he got into music, how his band and other bands are trying to survive during the pandemic. Where were you born and raised? Uh, Katy, Texas. I lived there till I was 11, and then I moved to Casper, Wyoming for two years, and then I've been in Laramie ever since. So are your parents like native Texans? No, no. My mom was sort of from all over, but they met each other in Louisiana. How'd they meet in Louisiana? And then my dad's from Louisiana and my okay. mom sort of bounced around and she ended up in Louisiana. I think she was there a couple times and yeah. It was like your dad crossed the room. 
Like we got to take this thing to Texas. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I haven't really asked too much about that. Um, yeah. my, my dad had two kids and my oh. mom had two kids and they both had sons the same age. and They both had daughters the same age. And then they hooked up and had Brandon and I. And so that's how we oh. became the Carlisle bunch. Wow. So that definitely is a Brady bunch type. Yeah. Deal. They had their own families and they got four bringing it yeah. all together. My mom's husband was killed in a car crash that got hit by a drunk driver while she was pregnant with my older brother, Kevin. So my dad adopted her kids, Tracy and Kevin. And so they've been a little more close to Brandon and I as far okay. as growing up with them. And then um, my my sister Tina and my brother Clay, their mom lived in Louisiana and they would be in Texas with us over the summer. And Clay spent a couple of years in Casper. And there you go. Yeah, I'm from a inch, like my parents got divorced when I was young um, and they've been married to my same step parents for a while. And so I really don't remember them that married together. My mom and stepdad have a kid together. And then my, I have a stepsister and then I have an older sister. So yeah, this blended family of summers here and there. It's getting, it's interesting. It's kind of our generation almost. Yeah. Yeah. We're, that's what we grew up with. This is what we know. I mean, yeah, it's not but, weird to us. No. And so do you do you have any vivid memories? They said a couple of years in Texas, right? Yeah, I was in Texas till I was eleven, so you know, okay. plenty of memories. I, that's oh, yeah. where I discovered, you know, skateboarding. And by when I moved to Casper, Brandon and I were were like sort of metalheads, you know, okay. Metallica and Guns N' Roses and stuff. And oh, then yeah. that eventually became Primus and Jane's Addiction and Sinead O'Connor, and then. Oh. We went through the worst phase of our lives where we started rollerblading and listening to terrible music. And then Green Day came along and the rest is history. So growing up in Texas, did you, were you, what kind of kid were you? Were you into activities like you know, riding bikes? Were you a good student? Um, what was your thing? as a young kid. yeah de definitely skateboarding. Um, you know there was a bunch of places to skate in Texas. And we, you know, discovered certain bands from just graffiti at different bowl areas that we were skating as far as like gutters and shit. So, um, yeah, skateboarding definitely led us to music. And that was that was our thing. We rode bikes, of course. And but, yeah, skateboarding was where it all started. We would I think it was in a bikes first because I had like a Diamondback like Formula 9 light, I could lift over my head, pegs, I could do sweet tricks. But then bikes became a way to go to the better uh, half pipes because you could put your skateboard in and you wouldn't wear yourself out and you'd ride your bike there and skate the half pipes. That's what I learned with my bike. It became more of a way of transportation than doing the tricks and stuff eventually. Oh yeah, you were of the same age, you probably read Thrasher, Miranda, Tony Hawk, and my favorite skater at that time was Tommy Guerrero. For sure. Sweet. Yeah, I did bore Tommy Grabboard. I think it was a flaming dagger or sword. Uh huh. And so, yeah, I got it on my wall. Where is it? There. It's, it, oh yes, I see it right there. Right. I nope. There that. we go. Oh my god. It's down there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. There that, it is. There's your skateboard. That's that is amazing. I, mean, I kind of gave it all up when I moved to Wyoming because I didn't think that would be a thing here. Uh, in Laramie because the night before I moved here or Saturday before I moved here, they had a 
skit on Saturday Night Live called Laramie Vice. And it was all about the Wild West characters and their dirt roads and everything. And my friends are like, you can't skate there. And, you know, taking Saturday Night Live for its word. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And so I kind of gave it all up and got rid of the board. But got here and was like, oh, there's so many people that do skate and stuff. But I got into sports and everything. So skating around Texas, you learning getting into uh, interesting music. Like when you talked about Primus and Red Hot Chili Peppers, like Chili Peppers, early Chili Peppers are some of my favorite, favorite, favorite music. Uh, what I mean is that's I got what you guys going into. When do you start playing music? We started playing music while we still lived in Texas. Yeah, Brad and I had a band called Carlisle Crew, and right. it started out with doing Ventures covers that my dad taught us, like Wipeout and Pipeline, oh. Walk Don't Run, and we played at my elementary school talent show. Um, in third grade, we lip synced. Turn up the radio by by autograph. In fourth grade, we played Pipeline, and then in fifth grade, we did this uh, medley of Wipeout and Walk Don't Run. So we were actually up there playing. Wow. We, we weren't we weren't singing yet, um, probably for the best. But uh, yeah, doing some instrumentals, and um, we had a half pipe in our backyard, and we had you know a big crew of friends. And we'd have a lot of skate sessions in my backyard with everybody. And then we moved to Casper and lived in Casper for two years. And I went into Casper with a Metallica t-shirt and a skateboard, left Casper rollerblading with a <laughs> Raiders jacket, you know, like <laughs> yeah. got confused for a minute. Yeah. Uh, sign of the times. Um, interesting enough. Yeah. I Just impressionable. And not having cool friends, I, I think. I hear you. I hear you. I, I remember being into like Quiet Riot, Rap Molly Crew, and next thing I know is Beastie Boys, Run DMC, Tone Low. Like I switched, I quit, I changed music. I and I was like, I was no longer a metalhead anymore, and I stuck mm -hmm. with it. But I, I look back at a lot of the rap music, and it almost is that. I'm sure I had a starter jacket. I'm pretty sure I had a starter jacket. At least it was my Niner team, but. I'm like, it happened. It was, it was a sign of the times. Everybody kind of wore them. And also Casper and like Laramie at the time cut off to the world. Like, That's yeah. true. There, there was a skate shop in Casper and we tried to get involved. There was some ramps set up at this tennis court. But my, my older brothers were a big influence on Brandon and I as far as our skateboarding. Yeah. They graduated high school and that's when we moved to Casper. Okay. So I never was, you know, sort of had, I didn't have that impression from my, I didn't have that influence from, from my older brothers and their friends that skated. And actually by the time that he my older brother Kevin graduated high school, they had already outgrew the whole Bones Brigade skateboarding thing. And Brennan and I had taken it to H Street and Matt Hensley. And that was more our our vibe you know um we of course i love all the old bros brigade videos and i was familiar with tony hawk and yeah. steve caballero and everybody but that quickly changed to matt hensley and ron allen and tony mcnewson and, and just the whole eight street thing ah you dropped some old names i i remember i i i remember i papered my wall in like thrasher um skateboarding guys soda so it was interesting. Yeah, you might. Oh, it was great. So, was it okay? You're playing music too, but with the lack of, say, a skate community in Casper, did you guys focus on your music a little more? Is probably 
Well, you know, we kind of dropped out of it. There was some, oh. I had a friend up the street from me named Greg Tra, and he liked Guar. He loved <laughs> Guar. And he had this friend, man, I can't remember his name. His last name was Manser, and his sister was in school with us. Reed Manser was in school with us. His name was Shane. So Shane came over once, and this is right whenever Nevermind came out. Okay. And I think he played Smells Like Teen Spirit on my guitar or something, but then I played, like, Sanitarium, and he was like, that's so awesome. You can play guitar. <laughs> and Brandon and I were like, Brandon played a drum set, too, and we were just sort of like, yeah, we, we play. But it wasn't until we moved to Laramie, and we formed a band in eighth grade with Reed Cowie and Angie Zook called Vehicular Homicide. And we actually cut this like live record on Angie Zook's mom's like Singalodian karaoke machine. And I would kill for that fucking tape right now. I have no idea where it happened, what happened to it. it. It was the only one that existed, but we just went over for rehearsal once at Andrew's house with Reed Cowie and laid out this tape and i don't know maybe if i heard it now it'd be like good thing i didn't have this for the past 28 years but um in my head it was one of the best things we've ever recorded um and then we went to ninth grade reed cowie graduated high school or something him and brian shaw took off and we got rob young on bass and i went to guitar i was always on guitar and brian was on drums andrew zook still sang and then we started really putting together songs where we would play them the same way twice. Like with Reed Cowie, there was a jam factor. Like okay. Andrew just sort of making up shit as we went along. And we, we had these songs that were great, but they were, it was an accident is what it was. Um, and then with, with uh, Rob Young, we became, you know, able to, there's the beginning of a song and there's the middle of it and there's the end and we would play it the same way every time. We played, this like basketball tournament at Laramie junior high school when we were in ninth grade. And that was our first rock show here in Wyoming. I was going to ask that. I mean, I was wondering if it was like a a Van Halen story where like you started on drums, ran on guitar and then flipped it. And that's, you know, kind of, the way it became the bands became once you guys, but it sounds like, well, Brandon always had the charisma of like a lead singer and a guitar player, but he just wasn't good at guitar. Ah, And so being twins, we were like, you should play drums. And I play guitar because my dad would show us these songs like pipeline. And in five minutes, I'd be rocking pipeline. And in five months, Brandon would kind of be doing it. So he fell under the drums simply by not being able to play guitar very well. Hey, did a great job playing drums. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and he became better without realizing he was getting better because there wasn't that many good drummers around Laramie to tell him, like, dude, you're great. Yeah. And he got no support from, like, the school system in Laramie. You know, there was, like, Matt Henderson, and he he recognized a little bit in Brandon, like, hey, this guy's actually really good. But Brandon would audition for the jazz band in high school and get denied for some, some kid that I guarantee doesn't play drums anymore, you know? And... So it was discouraging, but at the same time, it was encouraging because it was like, hey, fuck these people. Yeah, you know, we're, we're a punk band. We don't want our parents and these teachers to fucking like this. This is for us. And jazz drums anyway. Right, so, right. Yeah, punk drums, not jazz drums. That's, we don't need that. And we would yeah. teach them probably some things, but 
Yeah, totally different styles. But I hear, yeah, I mean, yeah, it encouraged him. It pushed him in a way saying, well, maybe I'm not welcome in that community. And punk is not being welcome in that community. Or any yeah, community. well, and also it, it wasn't one of these things where when Teenage Bottle Rocket eventually signed to Fat and we were going on bigger tours and, and selling records, we didn't have any animosity. We're like, hey, we showed you Dave Rickard. Oh, yeah. You oh. know, like, yeah. look at us now. It was sort of like, <laughs> Dave who? We, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, we're going on tour with no effects next week. <laughs> I, the, the names you talk about, Reed and Brian, I was on ski team with both those guys. Uh, I, pro, I think I might have saw you guys, but didn't meet you until later in life. At one point, play well, with them. I, Reed still goes to our shows in Seattle, and yeah. um, he's just a, such a great dude. And he hooked up with Tim Butterfield, who was in File 13 from okay. Cheyenne, and Justin Cooper from like the skate shop Action Ball downtown Laramie. He okay. uh, he was in, in File 13 with Tim Butterfield, and those dudes opened up for Green Day in Fort Collins in like 1992. Wow! And so whenever we discovered the underground scene in Laramie through like Brian Shaw and Reed Cowie. We discovered One Legged Pup Records and Some Kind of Cream opened up for Screeching Weasel and the Queers in Fort Collins. And like I said, Fire 13 opened up for Green Day. And me and Brandon were just like, this is attainable. Like yeah. these dudes that don't even play punk opened up for like our three favorite punk bands. So let's uh, keep this going, I guess. You know, I mean, there was something in the back of our heads that were like, we're not limited by being from Laramie, Wyoming. Like we didn't ever look at it as like, oh, we, we can't make it. And with, with, with our music or do what we want to accomplish with our music because we're from Wyoming. It was never something that crossed our minds. So while in high school, getting these bands together, did, did it affect your grades? Did, were you even about grades? You know, how no, no, we were always like B, C okay. students. Um, the punk thing and like smoking weed in high school never affected like, oh, now we're just idiots. Um, yeah. And no one was real supportive of our high school band, which was called Homeless Wonders, until we were seniors. And that's when we could play at the Hickey House and all the the kids from like the so the sophomores and the juniors would come to the show and they I think they looked up to us as seniors and it's like, oh cool, like now we have this this local following. And we were young enough where it kind of went to our heads like, hey, we're doing something that we totally weren't doing. And whenever that band evaporated with Rob Young moving on with his life and becoming a skydive instructor and all the different things that he's done, Brandon and I didn't take, take it for granted when we formed Teenage Bottle Rocket, like, Hey man, this could all go away and let's like really embrace this in a different way where we're not trying to impress people. We're trying to write songs that we love, you know, like let's write good songs. And that was like the first and foremost thing with Bottle Rocket as far as the Ramones, you know, like Ramones are a band that like have written hit after hit after hit. And they really didn't get much recognition in the United States as far as these songs are just as good as the Beatles. And they, you know, they were still playing 200 cap rooms in America. They were like, you know, playing huge shows in the UK and, and in Brazil and stuff. And that to me is like just a lot more realistic with what we were doing with our music as far as, hey, the whole high school's not coming to see us anymore, but this fucking song rules, you know? <laughs> like, You were weighing over your probably harshest critics yourself. Yeah, man. You know, and that, it's still like that to this day. Yeah. Um, so did you seek out members for Teenage Bottle Rocket? Did you have additions? 
like, did you have something in mind? Because clearly you and, and Brandon are the driving force and you want to write songs together. You're like, all right, we're probably going to have a big voice in this band. We've got to search out, like, members. Well, what we quickly realized was it's a lot easier to find a guitar player than it is a bass player. So what I did was I switched to bass. Okay. And we found this a friend of ours who's still a friend of mine to this day named Zach. And Zach was from, like, Illinois. He was from Illinois um, near Chicago. Um, he Probably Rockport, but probably wasn't. Um, you know, like Hoffman Estates or some suburb of Chicago. And he was covered in tattoos. He loved the Clash. He loved the Ramones. And that was our common bond. You know, like, he didn't love Screeching Weasel and Green Day. This guy was, like, more of a real punk as far as I grew up in Chicago. I know Naked Raygun and Pegboy and stuff, but like, okay. I think Clash more for him. And we're like, well, here's like these songs we wrote. And he's just like, oh, well, like goes like this, huh? And he was singing backups. And it's like, hey, we have this new band. Should we call it Homeless Wonders? And Zach was actually the guy that named the band. And he's like, no, let's let's call it something else. Let's call it Teenage Bottle Rocket. And me and Brandon were like, yeah, that sounds great. So that. That's so interesting how he came up with the name. This out of the blue, he must have been thinking about it for a while. Well, no, he just he told us that it was the, the nickname for his dad's car when he was in high school, and he just it was like a 1952 Ford coupe or whatever, some like old school hot rod looking car. And years later, after Zach graduated from Wyotech and moved away and quit the band, we found a hot rod magazine that had a car on the front and it was called Teenage Bottle Rocket. And so in my head, Zach saw this magazine with one of like one of his roommates had Hot Rod Magazine when he was going to Wyotech. He saw the name Teenage Bottle Rocket. He fabricated this story about his dad's car in high school. And in reality, our band's named after some random dude's car that was on the front cover of a Hot Rod Magazine. And that that's really the truth behind it. But like at the time, you know, we just believed every word that Zach told us and we we're all like, dude, yeah, it's like cool. Your dad's car. This, this sounds like a cool name and let's not call it homeless wonders. We have a new band now. Yeah. Makes sense. So he left. Now you're back to two. What do you do? There? He left and we were back to two. Um, and there was a band out of Sheridan, Wyoming called the fantastic Sam's and their guitar player, Joel, who, played on our first record another way and he played on our second record total which i played bass on both those records because i was still the bass player um he was just a he was a music major at the university of wyoming so he really understood harmonies and and he fit right into our band and he was almost too good for teenage bottle rocket where we would want to be real simple with our songwriting and our the way we play guitar and he tried to really dress it up, like instead of just going, he'd go, and we'd be like, you know, like that's not what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to show everybody how good we are at our instruments. We're trying to write songs. And um, so eventually he wasn't the best fit because he just wasn't as serious as we were. We wanted to go on tour. Oh, yeah. And Cody from Lillington's out of Newcastle, Wyoming, had this other band that he started called Sack. And he asked Brandon to play drums in Sack. And eventually I became the guitar player to Sack. And we knew Cody had Bloodbath and Burger King and So Far Away and Lost in Space. And basically every song that Cody wrote for our first record with him called Total. And we had a tour booked 
Joel said, I can't do it. And we called Cody and we're like, Hey man, we have this tour booked with Bill the welder. Um, it was like, a, we went to the triple rock social club. We played the bottom lounge in Chicago and there was like eight people there <laughs> and Cody did the tour with us. So Joel said, I can't do it. Cody did it. We did it as a three piece, me, Brandon and Cody. We played the bottom lounge. We recorded total cause total Cody decided to stay on as a permanent member. And we let Joel play as like the second guitar player. We recorded total and we had this new record label and the next time we came to the bottom lounge it was like sold out pretty much sold out so within a year and like cody joining our band it was a completely different momentum nice so now you got four guys three guitars well one bass in there but yeah it's a lot of guitars for a, a punk band. no it was two guitars a bass yeah. and drums okay you did you weren't were you just singing most time mm -hmm. or i was singing and playing bass Playing bass. Okay. I was singing and playing bass. Cody was singing and playing guitar, and Joel was singing backups and playing guitar. All right. And then how long did that lineup last? Oh, it lasted from, like I said, it was sort of off and on because Joel didn't do that tour that we did with Bill the Welder. Um, Joel did do a, a monstrous tour that we did with this band called Groovy Ghoulies in July of 2005. And then we would like go out during spring break. We'd go out during Christmas break. We were all college students still at the time. I, I didn't graduate. This is like 2005. So I graduated college in spring of 2005. Brandon graduated from the university in spring of 2006. Wow. And, and then after he graduated, he had to do like his field camp for his geology degree. And right whenever he got done with field camp, we went on tour with this band called the Epoxies. And that tour was like a month and a half long with the Epoxies and the Phenomenots. And of course, like a week before the tour, um, Joel said he didn't want to do it. And our t-shirt guy, Miguel, played guitar. We're like, Miguel, why don't you play bass because you suck at guitar and cool. I'll move to guitar. And, you know, that was the lineup from 2006 until 2015. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I've seen that lineup. That's the one a lot of people know right now totally. uh, i mean what it is what is now right. it, it is exactly the lineup we have now except for a different drummer yeah um so when you how many albums do you guys have we have eight we're recording eight. our ninth record in november wow wow because i gotta ask about the process like writing your first album was it just you and brandon sitting down working yeah out? writing the right. first record i lived at 1420 canby and we were just inspired. I was working at Taco John's and I'd be do, do, doing dishes at Taco John's and I'd have like a melody in my head and, and I'd start putting together lyrics and I'd come home and grab my guitar. I'd finish the song. I'd show it to Brandon. We'd rock it with Zach and we'd play it at the parlor. Like that was the vibe. Wow. And we recorded another way with Joel, but we had written a lot of those songs with Zach. And so that was sort of, a compilation of like the first three years of bottle rocket because homeless winners broke up in 2000 and we were already writing bottle rocket songs and we recorded another way in 2003 so and then we would just go on tour with a spindle of cdrs and if anybody liked our band at all we just give them a free cdr and so we played gilman street in in berkeley california and we booked the show with a seven inch that we released called the a-bomb seven inches the first bottle rocket release 
And um, we gave a CDR to this band called Enemy U that was at the show. And Enemy U gave the CD to Toby, who started a new record label called Red Scare. And he was, all, he was an intern at Fat Records, but he became a full employee of Fat Records. And so he wrote us. And he's like, hey, man, I work at Fat Records. I'm starting my own label. I love your band. I want to release you guys. And, you know, the rest is history from there as far as becoming a band that people actually gave a shit about it it like i said like we played the bottom lounge there was eight people there we came back and it was sold out and we you know sold a thousand dollars with the t-shirts or something to us it was just like we made it or whatever and so it was it was sort of that and also when toby released total we had a lot of songs from another way that were on total and he was like hey no one fucking knows another way no one knows your band so let's make this best this first record sort of a best of. Like let's just grab all your best songs and your new ones, which a lot of bands do. Yeah. Uh so was it such a surreal situation to go from right now out those lyrics, working at Taco John's to now guys like, hey, got a label. And then we want to promote you. And like this is what we're gonna give you, like pay you and stuff. I mean, what was the your feelings going through that? It was all so fast because we had so many dreams and one of them, for instance, being going to Japan. We want to go to Japan and Toby's just like, hey, this dude wants to bring you to Japan. And we're like, what? And he's like, yeah, his name's Bruce. This guy bought us plane tickets. We went to Japan. We played this huge festival with the Voodoo Glow Skulls and the Vandals. And, every, and it was seriously just like, you go to Japan, you go to Japan, you come home. And it's just like, dude, we just played Japan. <laughs> and, you know, Laramie's such an in and out town. People graduate from college here and they disappear forever. Yeah. So we had each other, but we didn't really have, you know, too many friends that would come home like, dude, we we're just in Japan. Like everyone's like, wait, what's your band? We, I don't, I don't care, you know? And, you know, as far as hanging out in Laramie, even to this day, I'm just sort of the dickhead at the end of the bar. <laughs> but then a lot of people will like, you know, get a job driving a taxi in Portland, Oregon and their cab fare says, like, where are you from? And my friend says, well, I'm from Wyoming. And their cab fare just tells them, they're like, Teenage Bottle Rocket's my favorite band. And I get a random email from some kid I went to high school with. It's like, hey, I just bumped into, like, one of your fans in Portland, Oregon. And, you know, it's not like I have this Bruce Wayne Batman sort of life. But I Teenage Bottle Rocket's a lot bigger outside of the city of Laramie, Wyoming. You know, like, we... And we are, we're always thinking outside of that box too. You know, it's like, we have nothing against Laramie. We want to play here like once a year and sort of make it an event. But you know, we're, we're going to Germany. We played South Africa. We played Russia. We went to, we've been to Japan three times. Now we've been to Brazil twice and you know, like let's go out and actually live our music and, and have, have some fun. You know, I caught one of those fandom moments with you. We're at a ween show and we're on the floor and some dude recognized you that was a fan. And, you know, I, and I'm sure I, I had a little bit as a DJ, but you're trying to hang out, you know, you're trying to have a good time and someone's there just like, well, I love you, you love you got... very much. But it, after a while, you're just like, yeah, thanks, man. You know, but, and, and you don't know what to say after a while. Uh, I have an ego. So when I get recognized, I'm like, yeah, dude, awesome. <laughs> The best, uh, the, the craziest time that Brad and I were ever recognized was in the parking lot of Walmart in Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, wow. Yeah, this dude pulls up to us and rolls out his window and he's like, are you guys Teenage Bottle Rocket? And me and Brad were like, yeah, you know? 
And then it turns out the dude was from Laramie. So oh, it was just like, oh, shit, this doesn't count. But, you know, for a split second, we're like, we're in fucking Alaska, man. Like, I, The weirdest uh, fan moment I had as a DJ, I was just DJing Laramie. It was weird. Uh, I was smoking a cigarette, and this girl came up to me and was like, can I bum one? Yeah. Hey, no problem. She, we introduced each other, and I was like, well, my name's Rude. And she's like, DJ Rude. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and, then, and then it was a starstruck look and i'm trying to like hey what do you major in like i'm trying to just have a conversation there's that starstruck look of my friends talk about you i love what you do. i'm just like thank you you know thanks you know i'm real i'm a real person like and i uh, do have an ego too i do have an ego too <laughs> right. but there's just times where it catches you off guard i'm sure in anchorage you'll ask you yes but guys from laramie that's all right laramie is kind of a safe haven for you guys i see yeah, you can walk around Laramie and people are like, hey, that's just Ray. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, I got recognized like, at the airport. <laughs> got, got recognized at the airport in Phoenix. Me and Milo both did. The kid re- guy recognized yeah. my kid right in front of my dad, yeah. which was sort of a special moment. This guy came up like, oh, my God, Ray and Milo, can I get a picture? And we're like, fuck yeah. And we took a picture of my dad afterwards. Was like, do you know that guy? I'm like, no idea who that guy is, you know? So, so while you're, you're, you're creating this band, you talk about now Milo. When did Milo come into your life? Milo came into my life September of 2006. And yeah, he just uh, has really gotten into playing the drums and playing the guitar. And he's definitely more addicted to all of that than I am. You know, it takes a special moment for me to get motivated and grab my guitar at this point. But Milo is just like lives his life on the drum set, the piano or the guitar to the point where I'm like, dude, like I'm trying to watch true romance. My <laughs> life is it's terrible right now. <laughs> yeah, I, a buddy musician, you don't really want to uh, stifle that. Uh, but no, I can produce no. some punk songs if you do, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. He's definitely got an influence. He was on, I, we had him on the show. You had you guys on Jam with DJ Rude back in the day and i cracked up because i had him on mic and he was killing me the whole uh, time and he was singing along like yeah and that was years ago almost four years five years ago and so totally. it's great to see him grow up on social media that i that i know you guys um uh-huh. so yeah uh, and so buddy musician i hope he sticks with it um out rocks his dad maybe you know i hope so too yeah i hope so too maybe he'll write a song that i could steal Oh, or yeah, yeah. And you'll be like, you'll put out that, you know, solo album in your 60s that Milo wrote in his teen years. Yeah, we'll get in a fight about royalties. Yeah. I wrote this fucking song. (laughs) Good family values right there. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So um, I'm going to ask this question. I usually ask of everybody. You just ask at the end. um, How did we meet? We met through Ray White, and I worked at Blitz Computer. Um, this is definitely Homeless Wonders days. Like I, lived, I worked at Blitz Computer in 1996 and 1997. Ray White worked there with me and Ryan Fagan and Jeff Knight, Bob Lefever, and um, we went out. We partied. We um, Ray would try to get me to drink Mad Dog, and I'd be like, oh, why yeah. do you drink Mad Dog? Like. I actually didn't know what it was, and he had talked it up so much. Like, 
mad dog dude they got the strawberry kiwi flavor like something he's like it's the best fucking thing you'll ever have and i went out with you guys like fuck yes and i took i saw the bottle and i was like this is not what i imagined and i took a drink and i was like this is alcoholic kool-aid this is like someone put ethanol and kool-aid and shook it up and i'm drinking it and this guy thinks it's the best thing ever and uh yeah i got i got arrested with him one night <laughs> way before i was 21 um possession of a fictitious id and uh yeah minor under the influence um i got eventually got fired from blitz and ray became a dad and uh <laughs> <laughs> well uh i the mad dog oversell which isn't shocking <laughs> it's terrible stuff um but he would over because people would see us drinking it and that was probably um, very close to when we were about to go work at a summer camp. And we were exposed to even different flavors of my, Mad Dog there. And so, but we were drinking at the time because it was a cheap buzz. It, it was sad. It was, it's like pure alcoholism because you, if you drank that, I mean, people like really that true alcoholics would drink Mad Dog because it's $5 a bottle and it gets you drunk, but it's terrible, terrible stuff. It tastes bad. Yeah. Mad Dog 2020. You know, mm -hmm. 2020 is kind of crazy like Matt. So, yeah, the oversell doesn't surprise me. It makes me laugh because he'd be like, it's fine wine. It's the best thing you'll ever have. And it was not. He didn't believe yeah. that. But he loved the look on your face when you drink it and be like, oh, my God, this was terrible. And he's like, I know, but it'll give you a buzz. Hindsight's so, 2020. Yeah, hindsight's 2020. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days because um, we were probably DJing at the parlor and stuff. And you guys were a punk band. And you'd be like, come see us. I think we did once. And right. Ray and I were such rap heads. Like, I was not letting a whole lot of music into my world. Now I'm open about everything. And I, yeah. we, I think we just stand there all cross-armed, like, punk. And music. those shows were, like, hit or miss. But when they were wild, they were wild. You know, like, th this is definitely not cool with the fire code for the parlor. Yeah. You can't move in here. So. And I we, definitely went to file 13 and stuff i went to a lot of that underground shows but yeah. I, I knew there i probably didn't give it a fair shake sorry about that i did later but i was like oh dude yeah and <laughs> and that's the thing where um you know right now like i said like laramie's such an in and out town and there's like so many different bands that form that break up because people graduate from the university of wyoming and yeah. take off so now it's like this um like country folk thing and there's not like any punks left you know it's like where's the loud band that my mom would hate like my mom would like all these bands that are in right now and like for me even being as a 42 year old it kind of pisses me off it's just like where's the band that makes everyone mad they're too loud you know and yeah. like goes into a riff that's fucking awesome for a second and then i hate the rest of their set or something but like <laughs> i think that everybody wants to go see a band and get their fucking the shit rocked out of them. I want to go see a band and I leave like, yes, yes. But lately I go and I'm almost pretending and I'll go up to the members like, that was great. And I'm just thinking to myself, shit, I'm just not getting what I want out of it. And if anything, Teenage Bottle Rocket's giving that to me. Hey, I wish there was a venue in Laramie, a consistent one that wasn't, didn't have to be huge, but... Uh was every night a show like every night i mean a, a reasonable sized stage 
I, th- I just don't know where. I just wish that existed. And whether it be bands coming through or whether it be local bands, I wish there was just something like that for people to play. It wasn't controlled by the university. It wasn't Big Bar. It was just a venue. Mm-hmm. Let's see some bands. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you know as well as I do, clubs in Laramie are just like, this place for a month, this place for a month, this place for a month, and everybody bounces around. And one thing that you got, we have to do is to, is Baller Rocket is um, not play here as often as all these other bands, you know, because if you oversaturate everything, then it's not, it's not an event anymore. It's not important anymore. And people take it for granted. Like, Hey, why would we go see Baller Rocket play at the Cowboy tonight? We just saw them do it last month. And if you play here once a year, you know, you really work it up, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, um, you know, I drink at the Duck a lot, and they get a lot of touring bands, you know, before the pandemic, but yeah. they get a lot of touring bands, and sometimes there would be, like, a random metal band from California or something, and I'm like, dude, cool, cool. I'm glad you guys unloaded your drum set and your guitar amps for three people here, but yeah. me and my two friends, we want to, like, listen to the BC Boys on the jukebox at a low volume, drink beers, and not... And be able to have a conversation with you guys, even in the other room. It's so fucking loud. I'm just like, <laughs> shit. So, you know, there's a time and a place. And yeah. Laramie, I just don't think could support that venue. And that's why it doesn't exist because yeah. it's annoying. It, like when you're in Chicago, you could have a venue like that because there's millions of people and there's enough people that are in different types of music where it's just like, all right. You know, I mean, I, I, I would, if Weezer played Laramie every week, eventually no one would go see Weezer. It's a, a simple fact. <laughs> I think the Wild Theater. Rip out some seats up in the front. That'd be cool. You know, you could actually rip out all those seats, by the way. Take I, down think, the- I think Wild Theater, two shows a month. Okay. And make them... Um, rad shows yeah i got you you know like jalan at the 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 smallest yeah you know like you know let's face it i was at my friend's house and his phone rang and it was ian mckay from fugazi calling him and he's like hey can you do fugazi and laramie and you know back in the day whenever firehose played here and seaweed played here those bands are fucking huge and I think that they were so successful, they would play a place like Laramie, and it was sort of a breath of fresh air where it's like, that was weird. Yeah. You know, like not everybody, you know, no one in the audience had a Nirvana shirt, and this whole tour has been nothing but Nirvana shirts. No one knows Nirvana yet in Laramie. (laughs) And um, it was like a cool thing for bands. And now Laramie becomes like a spot because they can't book themselves anywhere else. You know, (laughs) it's like, well, we're playing an open mic night in Denver, but we got this legitimate gig at the Roughed Up Duck in Laramie on a Tuesday, you know? And, uh, hey, man, I, I know what it's like. I've done the tours where no one gives a fuck, and those are all the stories that we hold on to that we repeat all the time. And those the, those tours are, are special to everyone. Yeah, I could imagine going, like, I. there were times as DJ, well, I guess I can't imagine, where I started a bar new and it was dead and playing to four people including the bartender and stuff and then fast forward a month and the place got a line up door 
uh, not just because of me as a DJ, but the service, all that stuff. It worked. Yeah, well yeah, they develop. Yeah, and or you develop at least a name for yourself. And yeah, I mean, you guys clearly it. I I just laugh with people because I'm like, oh, I'm doing an interview with a guy from Teenage Bottle Rocket, and if they're not from Laramie, they, they absolutely know who you guys are, worldwide famous. Laramie, like, who? What? Oh, really? And I was like, wow. okay, I don't even know how to explain it. And and yeah. it's, so it's interesting. To see that aspect, I love that you could disappear into Laramie. And Fried Friends asked if you were even still in Laramie. And I was like, I'm pretty sure he's still here. Yeah, you know, and especially, well, everybody left Wyoming. I'm the only guy left yeah. in Wyoming right. out, of, out of Bottle Rocket. Cody's in Denver. Miguel's in Dallas. And our drummer, Chuka, lives in Edmonton, Alberta. Whoa. So we, and I, I'm also known to, like, jump on, oh, an open mic night at, at the roughed up, I mean, at, at the buckhorn yeah just for a random like hey man i don't want to lose this i want to put myself on the spot and i'll play in front of 12 people at the buckhorn that don't give a fuck about bottle rocket at all and if you get those guys to shut the fuck up and drink their beers and watch you you're doing something right you know like that's it might be the hardest audience you know like a tough audience doesn't give a fuck about you like you're the opening band they're there to see pennywise yeah. And then they buy your record at the end of the night and they send you a message. It's like, you're my new favorite band. Like that's, that's the way this shit happens. Um, I you know, like, oh, I was like, I really think Ray rocket, that album, uh, your solo album there, uh, translates well, probably at the buckhorn a little more. Yeah. And yeah just, well, you know, it translates yeah. well with, uh, the whole acoustic thing, you know, yeah. and, let's face it. It's way easier to have a beer and talk to your friends whenever someone's playing an acoustic guitar. Um, yeah, yeah. and you can't really take it personally whenever someone's having a conversation and you think that they deserve, you just, you know, they're supposed to give you their undivided attention. And one thing I learned at the Buckhorn was if you start caring about that, it's, it's just the wrong vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, go put yourself through a little bit of torture, go play where no one fucking gives a shit who you are. And and try to come out on top, you know, and it doesn't always work. Sometimes you, one time I played the Buckhorn at, at a, it was like a real gig and Ray Rocket played as like main support for some band. I don't even yeah. know. And these two old timers would not shut the fuck up directly in front of the stage. Oh. And yeah. I, at the end of my set, I grabbed the microphone and I put it in front. I put it at their table. Like <laughs> I walked it to their table. Yeah. And I put it there like, here you guys go. Now everybody can hear what you're talking about, you shitheads. <laughs> and they're like, hey, you're a douchebag. And I got to think about it. And I was like, you know, I kind of I am. I'm kind of a douchebag. Like, these guys didn't ask to go to a show. They could have gone to the other room. They're, you know how entitled people are at the Buckhorn? Like, they pretend they've lived in Laramie for 40 years. They all act like they're Matt Mickelson. And Matt Mickelson <laughs> deserves to act that way. But these guys have really been in Laramie for like six months. And, uh, you know, it was just like them intentionally being rude to, to almost provoke me. And, you know, in hindsight, it's like, I would never have reacted like that now. And if it did happen now, I think I would come out on top and leave like, Hey, you know, I try to do my thing and maybe some people appreciate it. These people obviously didn't. And so the fuck what age with experience, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, Sometimes when, yeah, it's, it's difficult as a performer um, where you're like, I'm here to perform and entertain. 
And I'm sorry, you two out of all of these people yeah. have to have this conversation right here. And so... And speaking loud. Yeah. You know, like, he can't hear me, so I have to yell. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm seriously yeah. playing the guitar, looking at him like, really? And now I think I'd just be like, hey, dude, yeah. this is the buckhorn. This is where fucking... I'd have played a song that kind of was aimed at him. Uh, yeah. I well, and, well yeah. I... I the thing is, is um, I, I think I look, back, I look back on it and I think, like, Ray, you were, like, such a <laughs> – I thought that I was more important than I was, man. Like, I want to stay grounded. I want to stay grounded yeah. and I want to be humble and I want to be – I am a regular dude. You know, I'm a dad and I, uh, I write songs and I am honored to, you know, be able to tour the fucking world. And if someone at the Buckhorn doesn't know who I am, good. You yeah. know, like fucking good. And that's the way I should look at it. Back then, I think I was still like, I just want to make it. I want to make it. I deserve this. I'm on fat records and these guys don't know. And they're old people at the bar disrespecting me. And now I'm like, okay, well, now I have four records on fat records. And I think life's a lot more important to just like have fun, enjoy yourself, keep the vibe alive, man. Dang, yeah. Uh, a lot of people make the mistake playing acoustically by getting offended by people talking. It happens all the time. Uh, I've done it once, and I'll never do it again. Lesson learned. Yeah. So now, during, like you just said, you cut a ninth album during this pandemic. Do you guys get together via, like, a Zoom or a chat? Or how do you, like, work together as a band now? Alberta, Canada, Colorado? Yeah, well, Brandon, our drummer, passed away. My twin brother passed away in 2015, and our drummer's been in Edmonton, Alberta since then. So Cody and I will record songs on our own. Like, Milo plays drums on half my demos. Okay. And I'll send a text message with a new song that I wrote to the whole band. Everybody will think about what they're going to do musically to the, to the song, and I have what, in my mind, like, what I think it should do. And we get together and track it out, man. And that's what we did with our last two records. So we released two records without Brandon. And now we're about to release our third. And it is just like Miguel's writing songs and he's recording them on his phone. He sends them to Cody. Cody will re like demo it on GarageBand. Miguel's writing great songs. And that that's the way it goes. You know, it's like as far as the last time Teenage Bottle Rocket play, had a rehearsal, we asked Chuka to to come and play with us because it was like, Hey man, we know this guy can play drums, but we don't know how this guy vibes as a person, you know, like we don't know this dude at all. Yeah. So let's fly him out here before we give him a permanent slot in the band and make sure that we're friends. Let's make sure he's not some crazy lunatic that makes like jokes that makes everybody uncomfortable. We have to live in a van with this motherfucker. Right. Yeah. And so he flew out and we had like a wallpaper of songs on our fucking wall. Just like, we're going to play these 48 songs or something stupid. Eventually the cops showed up at my house because we were too loud. <laughs> but that was the last time Teenage Bottle Rocket rehearsed. Not even shitting you. That was the last time Teenage Bottle Rocket had a rehearsal. It was in 2016, March of 2016. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, well, I was like, I remember when he first drummed with you guys. And yeah, I think well, a very still a very feeling out situation, dude. I mean, we played three local shows, like one in one in Casper, one in Laramie, and one in Denver, and they were all 
great shows. The next show was in front of 10,000 people with Bowling for Soup in Dallas, Texas. And it was just like, dude, like maybe not 10,000, 5,000. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. 5,000. It was at the Bomb Factory in Dallas. Sold out. It was the Warped Tour pre-party. And it was one of those things like, hey, dude, welcome to TH Welcome to TH Bottle Rocket. Here we go. You know, walk out on stage. Crowd's going nuts. And it's like, this is weird. We're playing Skate or Die. After we played Skater Deck 2,000 times with Brandon, and here we are playing it for like the 2,000 first time with a different drummer, and we all felt like a little uncomfortable. This is like weird. Um, it's not the same. And then we jumped right onto the Warp Tour and started in Texas and went through Louisiana. And by the time we got to Nashville, we were seriously like, this is not working. Um, fuck. Like we tried it. And part of the problem was we were trying to do a different set list every day of Warp Tour. And it's like, hey, wow. we have seven records now, or six records now. Let's make every set list totally crazy. And we were struggling to stay on our toes, and it lost that, like, one, two, three, four, bam, like, style yeah. that Teenage Bottle Rocket's famous for. And somewhere around Nashville, we were looking at each other like, hey, back to the drawing board. We're trying to bite off way more than we can chew. We got a new drummer. Let's have a staple set list with Skater Die, Radio, and Headbanger. And let's play the same thing every night with maybe a two or three small changes. And then we just started firing on all cylinders. And by the time we were done with Warp Tour, we were fucking chiseled. We were, we were made out of fucking stone, I guess, or whatever you should say. I, I, we, we were, like, just kicking ass, you know. And then from that point on, it's like Chuka is a, a member of the band. It's hard to replace any band member or band. You see the thousands of behind the scene, behind the music stories, and especially your brother. And I'm sure there are moments where you look back and you're just like, Haha, I gotta go, I gotta keep going, you know, you know, or you look for that look and maybe finding that groove now and sticking with what it is, because your brother, yeah, most likely could have handled the different sets each time. Right. Because he's, I mean, he, he wrote all that stuff. Also, he was the guy that was behind the steering wheel with James Bottle Rocket as far as the set list was concerned and yeah. all those decisions. So he probably would have been like, that's stupid. Like, okay. let's yeah. not do that, you know? But, you know, and also as far as production in the studio, Brandon was the producer of our records. Oh, wow. He was the one listening to every line saying and like, hey, you should sing it like this. You should use this word instead. Uh -huh. um, the guitars aren't loud enough. I can't hear that right symbol. I mean, microscopic adjustments and like a meticulous, fantastic producer. He passes away and we're in the studio recording the Stealing the Covers record. And we all had to sort of fill in that gap as far as now we're all responsible. Let's maintain our recordings as being like as good as we could possibly make them. And, and people have to like really pay attention to whenever I'm singing. Cause when you're singing, everyone else is listening, you're singing and it's hard to see if you fucked it up. Someone's got to be there to be like, no, you fucked that up. Yeah. You know, eventually you'll hear it. And the worst part, like you're tattooing it when you're recording a record, you're tattooing it. Yeah. And whenever the tattoo's done, it's done. You can't go back and like redo a vocal part after the CD comes out. Yeah. So, you know, you, everybody's got to be on their toes. And Brandon was really good at, you know, like I said, just the way things were saying and, you know, like 
I don't want to go. Like, don't say I, just say don't want to go. You know, little things like that would be like, cool. And I think I hear that now. And if I say I don't want to go or whatever it was, it's a bad example because I do say I don't want to go on yeah. the record. But, you know, little things that Brandon made the adjustment. So if I heard it the way I would have done it, it would annoy me. And Brandon knew, like, that's going to be annoying. Let's fucking fix that now. I was so happy he grew his hair out long. It saved me so many times because I knew <laughs> you better than I knew him. And I'd walk up and I'd be like, hey, Ray. And I'd go on and he every time, rude, I'm Brandon. Son of a, you guys look too much alike. Grow some hair. Yeah. I, I probably probably said it at some time. Or what yeah. if you guys do something different and it happened? And so I was like, <laughs> oh, thankfully I can, I can, I, the distinguished with twins, it's always a tough thing. Uh, wow. So um, what was the moment? Do you have a moment where you thought, this is where I made it big? I'm on this stage at this time. I'm opening for this band. I've met this band. Hmm. Um, I remember moments like the opposite of that, where I okay. came home and we had just got tour with off tour with No Effects. Okay. And I was at the Buckhorn, and I was telling like Bob Fever, some one of my friends, all about it. Like, dude, we fucking party with No Effects. Those guys yeah. love us. They're taking us back out again. And some guy behind Bob rolled in his eyes like, you guys think you're such hot shit now. And uh, kind of like a grounding moment of, yeah, maybe maybe I should just go and tour and play with my band and record music and try to shut the fuck up about how rad I am and sucking my dick in front of everybody. And then like the fifth shot of tequila happens and I'm like, listen, man, like, we sold, we sold more than we sold more records than anybody in Wyoming, you know, or something like that. And it's like, eh, that's like sort of bragging about having the biggest dick in my kid's fourth grade class. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I get, I mean, that's a bit much, but I would be like, we were like in Japan, we were on tour. We've done tours with no effects. We've met these, like when you're sitting around skating and, and you're writing down lyrics as a teen, those moments you kind of dream for if you're going to pursue uh, that career. And so, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's fantastic to sell records. That's, that's the, that's the gig. That's the job. But I like, I me, like royalty I checks. I like yeah. royalty checks a lot. I mean, that's cool. Money's cool because you get it and you're like, wow, I don't, I don't have to have a job. Like I, I could just play music. Um, and then, coronavirus comes along and uh pulls that carpet right underneath for your fucking feet and it's like oh wait a minute dad thank you for letting me do payroll for your company still because uh, oh man <laughs> yeah i mean i guess it's it's you might have to go back to some uh solo acoustic shows here in laramie again just to uh yeah start a cover band start playing fucking private parties at people's houses <laughs> a backyard right. yeah no, but yeah. I, I, honestly, right now where we're at with it all, I just can't believe it's still going, you know? And I'm like, yeah. fucking for real. And we're recording in November and I talked to our publicist, Vanessa Fat, and she's like, we might not have, we, we might push this record back to a September release date. And I'm like, that's 11 months after we record. And hey, if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. If anything's taught any, anything, it's like patience with all of this. Like, yeah. yeah. In March, when all this shit hit, if someone would have told me the University of Wyoming's not going to have a football season in the fall, I would have been like, "There's no fuck. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about." 
and here we are. So, man, Vanessa telling me September the other day, it's like, hey, this is a possibility. Like, this could, this could be the way this shit goes down. Yeah, I mean, they pushed movies back. They pushed a lot of production back. Where do you guys record at? We, we recorded at Fort Collins at the Blasting Room. Okay. So, I mean, even going down there, you, you know, you're going to have to <laughs> get in and out under the cover of night. I mean, I don't – it's – They're sorry. safe. I'm not sure if Andrew's going to be wearing a mask while we record. He's going to be basically French kissing us the entire time. I mean, you're right there. Yeah. Let me look at the screen. Let me grab the mouse. Hey, Andrew, fucking back up the tape and all that kind of stuff. But um, they shut down for a month, I think, or a month or two. And we had our time in November booked before March. So our dates never moved and we're going in and we're going to bust this record out. And the problem will be don't share this record with anybody. Cause if it leaks, we're fucked. Yeah. You know, if your rec, if your record's coming out in September of 2021, I mean, and it, and it get leaks and in, in fucking December of 2020, no one's going to give a shit about this record that's coming out and it's going to affect record sales. It's going to affect the tour. And for me, it's like Bottle Rocket releases a record and we book a bunch of tours. The posters go up at every venue around like the nation and the world, Europe, everything. Yeah. People go go to see one of our friends' bands play. They see a Teenage Bottle Rocket poster. They're like, oh shit, these guys are playing here on this date. There's album artwork for a new record. They go home, they buy the record because they want to sing along to these songs that we're going to play at that date. They show up with all their buddies at this date. They sing along. They buy another copy of the new record. And the whole new release circulates around tours. To yeah. release a record and not be able to tour for me is like, what's the fucking point? <laughs> so it's like, Vanessa, if we have to wait till September for venues to open up again, and that's whenever like a vaccine's like in the work, or it's, it's injected. At this point, the vaccine should be injected, you know, yeah. like at the best case scenario. And venues are open back up and we're back to crowd surfing and spitting beer into each other's faces, you know, like I, without I, that, I don't want to release a record. So that's, that's sort of my vibe. Well, you record it, you put it in a lock box. Yeah. When they're locking key. Uh, well, Everybody it's just like, especially, it there. especially no, if like bottles of tequila come out, it's like, dude, put your phone in a safe. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, wait till tomorrow morning. Yes. There you go. Yeah. You can't, it's so long of a release. You know, but oh, yeah, yeah, you can't wait. I mean, you got your recording session, so you can't push that back. And so, and, and you guys could be touring even by March. And that's true. Out, you know, and I did talk to Vanessa I'll, about maybe a May. Yeah. Like, hey, May. Um, so that's also gives us more time with the layout. It gives us more time to record videos and I, especially like being on fat as well, you don't want your record to go up against no effects, lag wagon and, and whoever else. Like you want it to sort of stand alone as far as the release dates are concerned. So there's a lot of different things to consider. But for me, 11 months after the recording is like, Oh my fucking God. And it kind of changed from a September release to like maybe May. And I'm like, well, what about March? And so we might record like a seven inch with the full length and release like a little something for everybody that we won't necessarily be able to tour with and then hit them with the big rec with the, with the new record. Should record a live version of the album before it comes out. Well, I think that we're going to do like a live stream from the studio oh, nice. and we're going to have like a real camera crew come in cool. and maybe put it through the blasting room board 
and have like a live recording stream, even if we record it and for later put it on the fucking internet the next day, I'm fine with that too. You know, it doesn't need to be this like, hey, we're out here live. Let's read a comment. Like, oh, oh yeah. hi, Judy. Yeah. Whatever. No, you can put it on YouTube days after. Well produced, well, not distractions of, yeah. What'd they call me? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I do that. Uh, I've seen a few bands that do the live YouTube and, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like the lead singer to Goldfinger is jumping around his kitchen like he's playing the fucking warp tour. And the first <laughs> lyric to the song is whatever happened to dignity. And I'm just thinking like. <laughs> yes, whatever. Well, it is, you know, trying times. Uh, well, speaking of that, do you have to be like a homeschool parent with Milo right now? I mean, did you when it first? Oh, happened? dude, Totally. Um, and his mom had to, he, she's a science teacher at the alternative high school. And so she had to make that adjustment as far as all of her students. Now she's teaching from, from uh, home, like with these assignments. Okay. And so I was definitely stuck being a, a teacher, you know, and yeah. Milo had this German assignment where it was a story in German and the questions about the story were written in German and you had to answer the questions in German. And I'm like, this is great. We don't know German. So I sent the homework assignment to my friend in Berlin and she's like, I'll do Milo's homework for him. No problem. She did it and we submitted it to his German teacher and Milo got a 67%. And we were like, From a real fucking, like my friend in Berlin did this. She like lives in Germany, you dumb dick. Um, <laughs> The teacher definitely was a lot more lenient as far as future assignments were concerned from that point on, but I was scared out of my mind. Like this homeschooling thing's like a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that I mean, I ask everyone that has kids about it. I don't have any kids, so I don't have to worry about it. Um, <laughs> I worked at home for a little bit <clears throat> in uh, the beginning, where it was you didn't know like if it was on the microphone or if it was on a door handle. So it became there was a lot of ifs. So. I was like, I have diabetes. So I was like, I'm going home. I'm not going to be around this if situation. I worked one day a week on campus. And once they got through, like, it, you can't really get it from touching surface. Like, if it's been on a surface for a long time, it's not likely you're going to, unless you just, someone right. coughs on a box of cereal. Once it was safe, you yeah. went back. Yeah. So once I figure out safe, and we, and we put a bunch of money in technology, and that's my job is uh, classroom technology support. And so uh it's interesting to see what the university is doing what k-12 is doing how and it's just like I, I made the reference the other day i was like it's like trying to stop a river with a net and yeah and it's, it's a mean, good analogy yeah and i was like because there's so many variables to control because you could be doing everything great with your son and, and you guys are masking up and you social distance and do all these certain things but the kid next to him in classes parents don't do any of that and, yeah. and him sick and then passes it on to you and and that's uh -huh. just variables that go off and same at the university. and then we all get it in the city of laramie and then three months from now everything's open up again because we already right. all had it if we could develop group immunity that'd be great without, <laughs> without just severely slashing part of our uh population <laughs> I, mean, I know right 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 you know, here's the default yeah. right yeah here's the default people die oh well let's not do that yeah like 
the roughly right now would be like losing um, 150 people from Laramie. That, that, if it keeps, you know, going at this rate, we're going, right now we don't have any deaths here, but that's a lot of people to lose from this town. Oh, but yeah. Fire, like, and it, it, we, we come from a politically correct, enlightened musical yeah. genre. Let's, let's yeah. put it that way. People, like, people don't tolerate homophobia in the punk scene. Um, and to be in a punk band is to say stuff like, we're going to tour, we don't give a shit. Um, it's basically ending your band overnight, you know? And um, so, hey, we, we are rolling with the punches just like every other punk band because we want people to be safe, we want to be responsible, and we want our fans to be safe. And Miguel's got a baby on the way, like, tomorrow. Oh, wow. So we're not going to put – we're not going to take any risks. Yeah. And um, – you know, it's not like we're getting pressured from our booking agent. Like, hey, man, all these red states are opening up their venues. You guys want to do a tour? It's like, no, we're canceling all of 2020 because we just don't feel comfortable playing ourselves. I don't care if a venue and our record, our, if a venue wants us to play and a promoter wants us to play, that's something completely different than if we want to play. And we don't want to because if anybody got sick at a show – we would we would be devastated and and we're not going to put anybody's lives in danger. That said, my band Sack, I was telling you about, we played this um, safe concert series on August fifth at the Oriental Theater in Denver, and it was all up to city code. Everyone wore masks. The venue cap capacity is like seven hundred fifty people. They only let eighty people in. Um, they were forty feet from the stage. And it was basically like a shitty show at the Surfside in Fort Collins, but definitely way safer than Walmart, you know? Okay. And everybody's there for an hour. Drinks were served. We played, and everybody dispersed. And there was a little bit of like, is this the best decision? Are we the guinea pigs? How many shows has this place done? But, man, as a dude that's been doing nothing but tour in a punk band for the past 20 years – I miss it. I want to play music. People want to go party with everybody else. People want to go to shows. And you got to do it in a responsible way at this point. And then, you know, like, and also, you got to get your foot in the door somehow. And this is like maybe a first step to like eventually their shows again. Um, right now, there's not. But the Safe Concert series was kind of like, hey, dudes. Let's go safely play the weirdest show we've ever fucking played. And it was pretty weird. <laughs> I like the 40 feet thing. I like the time limit. Like yeah. an hour, clear the place. Like right. That could be good because the more people drink, the bad decisions come out. Totally. And that's what I worry about with college kids. Um, I know my that age in the 20s. I was coming back to school. I was going to a house party. I was going to have a house party. I was going to rock the bars. And everybody's going to be tied on top of each other. And I was like, what's going to change now? Like a few less people, but I was like, I think the same stuff's going to happen just because it's that age. And, right. and so, but yet I like the ideas of shows again. I'm a big concert junkie. And so I'm trying to figure out all that. Okay, 40 feet, we're there for a little bit. 
We're separated. Uh-huh. We're spaced. I've seen some of those festivals where they got their own little sections. Totally. You know? Yeah. Like, and it's just weird. All right. This is yeah. what it's got to be for now, people. Totally. Absolutely. We can, if we can get ahead of it and you get vaccines and we can social distance mask, we can probably end it a whole lot quicker. And I, I, some people that aren't doing that, I don't think they get it. That the quicker we get on top I, of I it. I drove by Roxy's the other day in Laramie and I'm just oh, like, okay. it looks like fucking Mardi Gras in that motherfucking place, man. <laughs> like, what's going on? My nephew is moving into the dorms tomorrow. He's going to play hockey for the University of Wyoming okay. this year, hopefully, if they have a season. But, um, yeah, we'll see how long they keep these classes going. Hopefully, they last the whole semester. Milo's going back to school next week on Wednesday. Hopefully, Larry Laramie Middle School keeps it together in a safe way. Um, there's definitely a chance that two weeks from now, it all blows up and we got all the kids go back home. Yeah, we're doing what the freshmen is the first two weeks. Everything's online. They're moving the dorms. They can move in as early as this weekend to yeah. – two weeks and they get prorated and stuff and it's working with the population. They can kind of control a little more the dorms mm-hmm. um, and get them used to everybody used to masking up social distancing, just working in that environment. Cause they might not come from a place, a town where it's that big of a deal. Um, right. If you have a town population of 5,000, probably not that big of a deal, but here it is. And the more people like I just, the cars coming in, I'm like, wow, I used to get all excited for this moment. It was kind of a rush and now it's a little more frightening. Um, but I, I, I like the plan, but a thousand things can go crazy. We saw it at UNC, North Carolina, um, yep. Georgia. Well, we hope Wyoming the, got some sense. And Laramie's definitely got a lot less people. So yeah. you can't really just like, blanket every university with a Facebook post because yeah. Oh, yeah. we're a lot different than CU Boulder, man. Oh, we're, you know, Milo's not going to middle school in Denver. Um, he's going to Laramie Middle School and there's, you know, a sense of just like security with that and it's within itself. Where, and also I'm just like, my kid's got to go back to school. I, I you know, I, I don't need to be like, I'd sound like a goddamn trumper or something but it's like man i think my kid like should go to school and like be around his friends and and uh, oh. and let me do my life and and go do it. but like i said two weeks from now it'd be like well miles back home and, and uh i am teaching german again i i tell him well, we're all in the same storm but we have different boat yeah and what in wyoming works if you look at our numbers and you keep an eye on that kind of stuff and you compare it to what they're doing in other parts of the United States, it's not the same and you cannot apply the same filter to that. Yes, you can be safe, but we are not downtown Denver. You know, we're not downtown San Francisco. We have a lot less people. We have a lot more space. Hey, this has shown that small community life is actually nice and safe and easy. And Wyoming kind of represents that right now because we have the low numbers, we have the space to get this done. There are some hot spots, but I mean, Laramie is one of the bigger cities in the state and it's really got no deaths, not a lot of big numbers because I think we're, we're getting it right. And hopefully we right. get it right at the K-12 and we get it right at the college level and get everybody on the same team. That's- but the, the scariest part for me is how many out-of-state license plates I see oh, like yeah. in the parking lot of Walmart. I'm like, whoa, yeah. dude, Mississippi? Yeah. Where are you guys going? Like. 
Yeah. Everybody decided to road trip. Like, yeah. let's, let's play campers and fucking road trip it. And it's like, shit, man. Jackson, I had friends that went to Jackson a few weeks ago, has never been busier in the last couple of years. Oh, dude, I bet. I was yeah. like, everybody's going to nature. I was like, not at once. You're not, oh, you guys don't mm-hmm. understand this thing. Like, we all right. go there. <laughs> I was like, yeah. go find somewhere more remote. I know Jackson is great to see. I was like, the snowies don't have people. Like, yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it, it, interesting times. And I think we can get it done if people kind of get on the same page. And I don't think you sound like a Trumper. You sound like a person that. <laughs> well, I'm not. I know. Um, a person and- that knows that you've got limitations and how to educate your kid. And you'd yeah. rather see the experts do it first before you're back consulting real Germans about German homework. <laughs> yeah. And also bands got to be careful, you know, and you know, sack got a little bit of shit for doing this social, this um, safe space show or when I was uh, the safe sound series, whatever it was that we played but people got to be responsible playing in bands. Like I said, I've been touring for a long time now and I miss it. And it's a big part of like my house's income, right? Yeah. Like I go on tour and I pay my mortgage, dude. You know, um, now I can't. Um, so if anybody's anxious to go out and play again, it's, um, bands like us, like teens, bottle rocket and bands that are, that are making a living off their music and it hit us hard. And, it, it bands got to be real safe and careful about when they decide to go out again, because I mean, worst case scenario, you book a tour in November and then you get to November and you realize you can't do it. And yeah. so you have to cancel it. So it's like, just save everybody some time. Your booking agent, some time venues, time the, every venues want to open venues want to fucking throw parties because they're going to sell drinks and they're going to be able to be a business. And man, I think that come March, it's going to be a buyer's market for buying punk clubs, dude. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, sad. if you want to start a punk club in March, there's going to be a lot for sale, is what I'm imagining. Oh, then, yes. And it's just like, like I said, the, the, the punk scene is like well educated, and people aren't going to make any hasty, stupid decisions. Not only because they can't, but because they are responsible and they're not going to put their fans in danger. We're certainly not. And we're not going to put our families in danger. And dude, you know, it's just like sit back and wait. And like whenever a band books a tour, sit there and shake your head like, well, that's not going to happen. Or like, hey, maybe eventually we'll be like, maybe. Maybe. Maybe they're the one or they got the right venues. Yeah. Um, Who's going to do it first, right? You guys should, you know. Get together via Zoom or something. Do something live on Zoom. Grab the band. Work out. Yeah. Something. Well, when we go into the you studio in November, like I said, we're yeah. going to do some sort of live action stream that might not be live, but yeah. we're going to do something. Are you and Milo? Do another live? Uh, Milo uh, will definitely be down there. Um, I mean, it, he'll, he'll be down there the whole fucking time. Yeah. If, yeah. Closed, if school closes, but we'll see. But just during the time being, you know. Play some music to the internet yeah. for a little bit. That's true. And uh, I mean, one thing that that's true for me is the the whole COVID thing is stifling my creativity, man. Uh, you know, I haven't like, hey, we can't go on tour with the band. Um, 
what a great time to write songs. Well, shit, dude. I'm just like, yeah, they, they're few and far between. We have a new record written, which yeah. is great. A lot of it was written in January and February, but since all this stuff hit, I've written two or three songs and it's hard, dude. I just like, don't feel very creative or inspired. And like I said earlier, some of these bands, it's just cringing when I see it. And I'm like, I don't know. Okay. And, and you know, like, Hey, is it a good idea to come out with Teenage Bottle Rocket Mass right now and like kind of come across as like begging for money from our fans when no one fucking has money right now? You know, like that is, there's two sides to all this shit. It's just yeah. like I think eventually Teenage Bottle Rocket Mask will come out, but on the other hand, like it's delayed so much because me and my, Miguel are like, ah. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, and it's it's hard, but also I see all the artists come out and I'm like, hey, gotta mix money. I get it. You know? Yeah. Um, right. Get it or or try to like, you know, go to the archives and find something. You know. Totally. Totally. And, and I found like this, this podcast actually, I thought about it in man, last year in 2019, sometime I was like, I want to do this. It's kind of a good idea. I've some, met some great, interesting people along the way. And my first interview was the only face-to-face one. I was tempted to have one with you. I was like, hey, let's just throw it down in the backyard or something. Right. And uh, maybe next time, but because oh. I'll definitely have you on the show again. But my first interview, the only one face-to-face, the rest were done via Zoom. And I'm loving it because I get to catch up with my friends that I haven't seen in a long time and and it's safe and it's, I I haven't seen friends in New York. I've talked to them out there. Friends like up in Oregon, hearing these stories again, seeing that skateboard was just great. And, and so I was like my creativity, cause I was like, I, I saw all these people doing stuff online. I wanted to give something to the world during this time. And so I was like, there you well, go. I like that. Uh, and I, my distraction for the world is this podcast. I do music, you know, radio shows and everything. Love it. Hey, they thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. Thanks and, for having me on. And I'm kind of getting looks from my girlfriend at this okay, point. I'm about to wrap it up right now. <laughs> but yes, thank you for being on the show and uh, on to the next podcast dude thank you so much Reed, man i think that we covered some pretty cool subjects here dude fuck yeah I worked an off-camera deal out with Milo, uh, Ray's 11-year-old son, to give me a drum line so I can use during the show like you just heard that bass line right there and then at the beginning of the show and then you'll hear me rave about Milo and how great of a drummer he is. I wouldn't even have to rave. You'll just hear it and he'll be our theme music. So hopefully we'll get that drum line soon, Milo. Get it to me soon. And we'll use it on the next podcast. Now, I don't remember Ray and Brandon being that young when I met them back in the day. It's so funny how my other buddy, Ray, Reynaldo, oversold Mad Dog 2020 to Ray. He did that all the time just to see people's face when they drank it. And yes, if you've ever had Mad Dog 2020, it's fitting that 2020 is so crazy and sucks. Kind of like Mad Dog did back in the day. It's got different flavors and such. 
but it just really was a quick way to get drunk. All right, I'd forgotten all about that. These interviews, they've been great for memories and entertainment. On to the next podcast.